Hi guys, welcome to Pink Pill with Jamie Lynn. I have a special guest here with you today. This is the beautiful Christina Loren, WBFF Fitness Pro and Women's Lifestyle and Fitness Trainer. She's also the host um, of the Fearless as Fuck podcast and a mental health advocate. Welcome, Christina. So excited to be here. I'm Thanks so happy me. to have you. I know, I feel like we've kind of like talked in the DMs but never actually like yeah. met in person. So. <laughs> I feel like I've slid into a lot of people's DMs even <laughs> to become like friends on Instagram. <laughs> Isn't it weird? like you feel like you uh, you kind of like know them like I feel like I know you and this is actually like our first time meeting yeah I actually feel like a lot of my friendships have developed that way especially being so present on social media and that kind of being part of my career I've connected with a lot of people and some of my most close friendships have actually started from networking on social media so it's not all bad uh, it's really not I mean sometimes you get those like creepy little you know yeah those, those <laughs> ones that kind of linger around um well guys we're here for kind of a hot topic something that I'm most known for and that's um, that's narcissists and narcissism, which are which are two different things. But we have both had experience with a narcissistic abuse, and you've been very open about sharing, you know, some things that have happened to you. But I thought today we could take like a bit of a a deep dive to give people a different perspective on what it's like to be on the receiving end of a lot of that abuse. Um, I've spent a lot of time kind of clarifying what narcissism is, but I kind of want to talk about some of the covert tactics, why it's hard to recognize it and how somebody that's beautiful, smart, intelligent, right, uh, takes care of themselves, expects to be treated with love, respect, kindness, would find themselves in a position dealing with somebody that's actually incredibly abusive, right? So it, it can be a bit of a, it can be a bit of a mindfuck to say the least. And I'm sure you've like had many questions and probably questioned how you ended up there yourself. Yeah, a thousand percent. I don't think I would have ever been in a position where I thought I could wind up in a relationship like that, nor be involved with something like that. And to be honest, when I was going through this relationship, I don't really think I knew what a narcissist was. I don't think I had actually taken ever a deep dive into understanding the dynamics of what makes a narcissist. And I'm not just talking about like having narcissistic tendencies, like I feel like everybody could have right. at some point, but actually having this like personality type and like you were speaking of earlier, just like the covert narcissist tactics, they fly so under the radar that you don't even realize what's going on until after the fact. And you kind of look back and you feel like you got mind fucked for sure. Yeah. You don't even really recognize what had happened to you or how you wound up in that position to begin with. You know, one of the things that I tell people that find themselves on the receiving end of this is it's not about intelligence, okay? It's not about it's not about what you know. There's so many, there's something interpersonal going on. There's usually like um, an, an attachment that's been developed or a trauma bond that's been created that makes it really, really hard to leave or recognize these relationships because a lot of these relationships start with love and kindness. Oh yeah. A lot of these relationships start with the qualities that you'd want to see in a healthy relationship. But then you kind of get those slow cuts where things just start to feel a little off. But if you were to go tell your friend, oh, well, he just kind of walked in front of me. He wouldn't hold my hand at dinner. They would think that you're overreacting, right? They wouldn't really recognize that as like a devaluation. So. Right. I'm hoping that we can kind of get into some of those things. Yeah, um, definitely. Tell me a little bit about how you how you met him and how that relationship started. Oh my gosh. So I actually met him on a dating app. Okay. And I was just getting out of a relationship and I was ending that relationship, not for any bad reason. We just realized that we were not the people for each other. Um, so I was, I was fresh out of a relationship. So you could probably consider that being in like a vulnerable place because despite whether you end a relationship or someone ends the relationship with you, I think you 
can understand that you're vulnerable. Absolutely. Um, you know, you're, you're getting rid of something in your life that's potentially been there for a while. And so you're feeling a little lonely, lost, you know, looking for attention, you know, some kind of validation. But when I met this person, it felt like that too good to be true feeling, which I've now kind of recognized as I've gotten older that too much, too soon, too fast is usually not good. Was he kind of like saying and doing all the things that you had kind of ever wanted? It was like everything. I remember even some nights like reading the text messages and being like, oh my God, like this just sounds so perfect. Like everything you, sounds perfect. Do you think, do you think he read you a little bit and kind of knew what some of your vulnerabilities are? Uh, absolutely. Okay. And it's so hard now because I still think back and I'm like, this person probably did love me to a degree, I'm sure. But I think he mirrored me and showed me exactly like what I needed. And that's what I've also came to like learn about narcissists is they really are smart people. They're not, they're not dumb. So they know exactly what they're doing. They know the tactics that they need to kind of groom you. And it's, it's still like, even years later, it's hard for me to talk about, like, I'm finding mm -hmm. myself getting so frustrated because I don't want to think that somebody would do this. Well, let me, let me provide some insight on that because there's kind of two ways that that can go. So some people do it intentionally, right? And that's where you get into the, like the psychopathy of it. That's where you go into like the Ted Bundy's and the Jeffrey Dahmer's and stuff like that. Those, those, they like intentionally harm and they, they know what they're doing. But then you have, then you have like what I call like a reactive narcissist where they're this way, like just very instinctual. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's a, def it's an internal defense mechanism where they don't, they don't even know what they are. It's kind of like a Donald Trump, right? You make a mad, he punches the wall, right? You think it's it stems just, from trauma, stems from their own trauma in some way? You know, I think it can be, I think largely these disorders are environmental because I think narcissism is one big defense mechanism. However, I do think that there are exceptions where it is a biochemical response. Yeah. Where there's like sense. an imbalance in the brain, but more often than not, it's your environment. I think people have a lot more control over it. Um, at least, I think your early your early childhood experiences really kind of. I think you can go one of two ways. Narcissists and empaths are kind of on the same spectrum. Okay, empaths like learn to really identify with their abusers and their offenders, and they became really in tune and really in touch with. Uh, their environment and attuning to the needs and the facial expressions of other people and uh, being complacent and being people pleasers. And that was a survival mechanism. And their being in touch with people's emotions helped them kind of survive those things. Whereas narcissism is on the opposite of that. It's a complete detachment. It's looking at things through an objective lens. So it's like, well, if I never get too close, I never get hurt. Right. right? So two different ways to respond to trauma. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I had to also recognize in my own space, like post-relationship was I was completely at the other side of the spectrum, mm -hmm. completely. So I had to heal those wounds to stop attracting the kind of people like him. I kind of want to, I want to get into the healing, but I'm yeah. going to save that for the very last. Yeah. I want to end on a positive note. Yeah. Because <laughs> that shit can get really dark. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So let's see. Um, let I, you know, I want I want you to I want you to kind of share some of the signs, okay? If you can, like, talk a little bit if you're comfortable with. You said that your relationship started off really positively, but usually, what I find when I talk to people that have been in narcissistic abusive relationships is there was always a moment where they were like, "Huh, that's weird." Yeah. Did you have one of those moments? Yes, yeah, I did, and it was. Oh man. 
I think this was probably the first one. Like there were a few lies that popped up that I remember being like, you didn't, why would you lie to me about that? It was just like really weird things, but it was all like ego related. Like he lied to me about owning his house. And then I found out about it and I felt bad for him because he freaked out when I told him that I had found out about it instead of just, you know, coming to terms with it and telling me like he was embarrassed or, or something or taking how did, accountability. How did he respond to you when you caught him in a lie? He got angry. Mm. He got really angry. Did that shut you down? No, it made me reach more mm. because I'm a people pleaser. Or I was, I was that empath that I'm like, oh, I, you know what? There's probably a reason why he lied about it. I'm going to find out. I'll be there for him. I'll nurture this and make sure he's not embarrassed because maybe he was just trying to impress me and maybe he lied to me because. So you assumed responsibility for the lie. Yes. And this is what I started. This was the beginning. Mm. And this was like, a. Tr this was like, when I look back to it now, I feel like I did this a lot. But he would get angry and, you know, he would yell and the things he would say, it start it would start making me feel really small. So I felt like if I took some of that accountability, because I now embarrassed him, now it's my fault that I had to call him out like that. When in reality, I was like, hey, your mom said something to me and it, it just doesn't make sense. Can you like explain to me why your mom would say this to me when you told me this? Mm -hmm. And instead of just, you know, taking accountability, it would become this big blowout. Mm. But... I, I like let, let that one go. And by this time we were engaged, we were getting ready to move out of state. And so I was already in this like, you know, very emotionally charged time. I had just gotten a ring on my finger, everything. I was so in love. And I had brought up something to him about a friendship that he had because he was being really mean to a really good friend of his. Mm. And he was treating him very disposable. And it really worried wow, me. that's a big sign right yes, there, isn't yeah. it? Like an aftermath. Yes, yeah. and this was a friend of his that was going to be one of the best men in his wedding. So for him to be so quick to be like, I don't need him, I was like, holy shit. And it was so weird, so I kind of asked him about it, and I was like, man, you know, that's a little scary. Like, I, If you could do that to your best friend, what makes me think that you couldn't do that to somebody like me? And he got really upset, and we got in this big fight. I was supposed to go out of town the next day, and he had left the house, didn't tell me where he was going. I wound up getting up early at like five o'clock to go to the airport. And I went to kiss him goodbye and tell him I was going to get in the cab and go. I got in the cab and I got a text message from him. And then he said, that was a bad idea. And I was like, what was a bad idea? I have to go after the airport. And he's like, I was waiting to take you. And I was like, I just didn't want to bother you. You know, that's why I went and said goodbye that's to you. That's kind of a very like threatening way to say that too, it, though. It was. Yeah. And then he said, forget it, have a good time. And I was like, ah, oh, so my anxiety was just like, up. well, that's that statement is designed to be anxiety provoking. It, it keeps right. you guessing, right? It's like right. that was a it bad keeps idea. You hyper vigilant, and then he's like, okay, go. That's 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 a passive form of aggression, right? Right. And this was the start of me living in hyper vigilance for years. Like this is exactly how this stuff was just kind of like groomed in. And so this entire time I'm at the airport and I'm, I'm, I'm going and sending him long messages like, Hey, I really didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I was just, I really had to go. And he was like, you know, if you really cared about this relationship, you would have stayed. And I'm like, I, what? Like, of course I care. Right. But I have to go to work. I have a flight. I'm being paid to go somewhere. It's an impossible. So there's no solution. You're right? stuck. Right. Yeah. So the entire two days I was gone, he ignores me. He gives me the silent treatment. He I had talked to you at all. He would not talk to me and he had to work a fitness expo that weekend and he erased all of our photos Whoa. off of Instagram, hid them. And I was like, damn, like, what is he trying to do? He's trying to teach me a lesson. Like, this yeah. is crazy. <laughs> and I, yeah. yeah I, he is. And I, <laughs> Bad <remember> girl. <laughs> I called his mom and I'm like, what is he doing? And even she was like, I don't know. I don't like the way he's behaving. Da, 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 da. 
I find that like lot like down the line, this is common behavior. I can't I can't imagine that that would be like his mom's first rodeo at that. But it she's wasn't. probably used to placating him as well. Yes, but I I mean, of course, she's not going to tell me that in the no. moment. But she told me she's like, you should not tolerate this. And I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do? So I came home and once again, kind of like you know, got into it with him, and we like worked out that fight or however it did. But then two weeks later, like a week before we're supposed to move, I find out that whole time he was at the expo, he's hitting up other girls. And I was like, man, like, what were you like? But of course it was my fault. Of course. You know, so. that, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And, and just, just so you guys kind of have some, like a little bit of psychoeducation about what Christina's explaining, like this is very common in the narcissistic abuse cycle. So, you know, there's a period of idealization, right? Which is what you covered, which is where they like, you know, you're perfect. You're this, exactly. you're loving my life. Yeah. Everything I, I dreamed of. And they're on good behavior too. Yeah. Everybody loves them. Right. And then all of a sudden there's some tension that starts to happen in the relationship where you can't really say or do things right. And you're, you start kind of feeling on edge, right? You start kind of walking on eggshells and that's where you start to get some, um, devaluations is what we call them. And I call those like the slow cuts. That's like, you know, you're out to dinner, but they're walking in front of you. Or, you know, all of a sudden, like, you know, you shouldn't have done that. The veiled threats. But then, you know, it's like, what are you talking about? You just hurt my feelings, right? It's it's very confusing. That phase is the discard phase, right? Where they have to disappear. They've thrown you away. And sometimes they'll give you an explanation and sometimes they won't. But they have to do that because they're entertaining new supply. They have, they can't, they can't be bothered with you. Like he couldn't, he couldn't possibly talk to you. So he had to do that, teach you a lesson. So he gets narcissistic supply from doing that. All the while he's got a new source that he's either grooming or had already secured. And now that's getting his attention and she's in the honeymoon phase. Yeah. And that wound up being a series of a pattern, a, pa a series of events. And this continued because by the time we got to Vegas, now it's even worse because I'm isolated. Now I've been taken away from my, you know, comfort zone. I've left jobs. I've left where I was. I've left comfortability to be in a new environment with him by choice. We were both doing this by choice, but I didn't realize how much harder it would become when you're actually out of your safety zone pretty mm -hmm. much. And it wasn't too long. It was maybe like a half a month after we were here that this shit started happening again. And it just continued to get worse because now the words were worse. Mm. The things that were said to me were worth worse. The devaluation was even worse. So it just continued to take those cuts and those jabs over and over and over again, which makes you become this like shell of yourself. And I have always been a pretty confident person. I've always known who I was. I never had any issues with my identity. And all of a sudden, bright, shiny Christina, who loves to talk to people, who's happy, whose whole is like, this big yeah. and does not know who she is. And when you get to that place, your friends don't even recognize you anymore. Your family's worried about you. You're getting all of these comments from people about how you're changing and you don't see it anymore. Well, how would you respond when people would give you that kind of feedback? I, I don't even, to be honest, I don't even know if I had very much of a response to them. I would just listen because it didn't, it just made me sad to hear, but I couldn't quite understand why they were saying it to me, which I feel like that sounds weird to say now because of course you should be able to understand your friends are warning you, your family's warning you, but I, I don't think I wanted to believe it. What do you like? It's it, like so many people struggle with this part in narcissistic relationships where they can recognize that there's an element that's not healthy, but there's something so overpowering where they're able to excuse, minimize, or justify the behavior. Like 
if you were to take a look at that, what do you what do you think kind of kept you in that relationship? Oh my gosh, you know, to this day, and it's been like three and a half years, I think, that I, since I've left, mm-hmm. I still sometimes analyze like what that was. Yeah. And I still don't really know exactly, but I do, I think I was just so manipulated into yeah. thinking that part of the reason this was all happening was my fault. And because I'm such a, nurturer, I wanted to fix it. And I wanted to see if like, if I could do quote unquote, my part, maybe the relationship would get better. And because of the way he talked to me, it made me feel like a lot of these things were stemming from me. Mm -hmm. It's really hard because there's a lot of gaslighting that occurs in these relationships. And you know, gaslighting, it just, it makes you question your own judgment. And like you said, like you kind of, you kind of don't know what's real and what's not anymore. And especially if you're isolated, that's, that's pretty crucial in these abusive relationships, right? Where you're kind of removed from the outside opinions of others. And when you do have it, you don't really trust it because you've been so consumed with their rhetoric and their ideology that you almost don't trust it. Right. And you start to feel crazy. And those things are really, really hard to rebound from. Yeah. Did you like, what did you have to do to try to make it healthy? Oh my gosh. I Cuz a lot of people like what I hear you saying is it's it's usually one-sided in narcissistic relationships, right? Where they're ten, they're always kind of pointing out what you can do better, right? How yeah. you can change, how you can improve. And in these relationships, they really don't take a lot of ownership and accountability. They they finger point, they blame, they displace blame. Um, they'll be the ones poking, 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 poking. But let's say you have a reaction. They're like, oh, see, look at her. She's crazy. She's re- yeah. And they you change know? the goalposts a lot too. Mm-hmm. And so I honestly feel like, and that's where I got a lot of complex post-traumatic stress from this mm-hmm. relationship was because I... I would wake up anxious because I never knew what was going to like happen that day. And I remember one of these guys in these podcasts, like the women control the way the mood is set for the relationship the entire day. And I <laughs> laughed so fucking hard because I'm like, that was completely opposite in my relationship. Right. Like I had to be very careful of his moods. I had to be very careful of like what I did because it would always rock the boat. Like it was, it was just never enough. So as long as like, as long as his life was good, as long as his needs were met, he was fine. But I was always on edge about like, when is there going to be another shoe drop? Like, when is there going to be another girl that he's chasing after and then blaming it on me and then telling me that like, you know, he had lost desire for me. And I'm like, okay, if that, if that's the case, then like, what do we do to fix the relationship? Like, what do you need? But he couldn't tell me, he couldn't actually articulate what he needed. So it made me feel like it was just a bunch of excuses because I was willing to do whatever we needed to do in the relationship if that was the case. But there would never be anything he could actually tell me to do. Um, and like, I'll give you an example. When we moved to Vegas, he's like, take some time off of work. You know, mm-hmm. you're, I was a hairstylist. He's mm-hmm. like, leave your clientele in California, take a breather. We can move to Vegas. You know, I got us, um, you know, pursue your passion with fitness and then we'll, we'll go from there. I'm like, okay, great. So we had been in Vegas two and a half weeks, maybe three weeks. And he's like, you're just sitting around doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And I was There's like, holy yeah. shit. Like what? What would you like me to do? You told me to relax and we just moved here. I'm, I haven't even gotten a chance to like figure it out yet. Mind you, I'm still going back every other week to do hair in California. And I find out later that every weekend I go away, he's cheating on me. 
So it was, it was putting me in this, like, you're not enough space so much with everything that I did. So of course I didn't feel enough. So in order for me to make it feel safe, I became like an overachiever and like an overdoer and an overcompensator because I just felt like maybe if I do this, maybe if I do this, maybe if I do this, it'll be better, it'll be better, better, better. And like, even his mom would tell me like, well, maybe there's stuff that you're not doing. Maybe, you know, you need to not let him walk all over you. You know, I... Thank you for sharing that because that's such a good example of what a double bind is. That's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, you can't win. You can't win. And and look, it's it's important, guys, because they're not looking for a solution, okay? The reason he couldn't answer her question is because he's not actually looking for a solution. He's not actually trying to work with her on it. I see a lot of people in these relationships... They think the solution is to work harder, work harder, work harder. They spend a lot of time trying to get their partner to understand them. Oh, they fucking understand. They're just not listening to you. There's a big difference between those two things. And it's important for us to, to learn how to recognize that. I think, um, oh, I was going to say something and then I lost my train of thought. What do you, what do you think it is about, I, I see women do it more, so I'm just going to say women. What do you think it is about most women that, where we see something and we think the solution is to work harder because it's interesting that throughout this whole time, I, I haven't heard you talk about your needs or what you wanted in the relationship, right? It was all about how he wasn't happy and how you were meeting his needs and how you had to work harder. And I can't imagine that you were just completely satisfied that whole time. No, it wasn't. And I mean, around the time we moved was when things stopped because I would ask for more quality time. I'd want, you know, things that a woman would want in a relationship, just more affection, things like this. And when I would bring that kind of thing up, it'd be like, I don't know what else you want from me. Isn't what I'm doing enough kind of thing. Like I pay the bills and I'm like, okay, on a side note, like I pay my own bills. Like you pay the rent. I get that. But this is what you also wanted. Mm -hmm. This is what you want. So just because you do this doesn't mean that my needs don't get to be met either. And it was just such a I don't know. It was it was so confusing. It because, is confusing, right? Yeah. It's so and it's designed to be that way. It's designed to be confusing because, you know, it makes sense, right? It's like, well, I pay the bills. All right. Well, like, what are you really asking? That you have to kind of reframe it to see through the bullshit, right? Well, what are you asking? You're asking for, you know, permission and zero accountability to do whatever you want. That's the ask. Yeah. Does that is that the price of paying the bills? Right. And then things would like weird things would happen that I found out later were tied to him doing something bad. Mm. Like he'd go actually get me a really nice gift for a holiday. And then I'd find out that when he was actually getting the gift and he was busy, he was with another girl mm. or, you know, he was how at a town. Gross, how it was gross fucking is that? It was fucking that is, disgusting. See, like, that, that is such a good, again, you're coming up with some great examples because I think this hard's real, this stuff's really hard to dissect without examples. And it's right? honestly, it's crazy because like, I haven't sat down and dove this deep in a while. And as I'm like bringing this stuff back, I'm like, I even have a hard time starting to articulate because it's reminding me of how confusing it was back then. Yeah. And I can talk really well, but I'm still finding myself getting like my tongue tied because this is exactly how it was during that relationship. I could not articulate That's, how it was. It's, it's that energy stuck in your body. Oh yeah. You know? a it, thousand it'll percent. bring you right back there. You know, I think it's really, it, it's look, narcissists don't waste any time, right? They have no attachment. Like even though you were with this person for years, like he didn't view you anything more than an object, which is horrible to say, but if you, and that doesn't reflect your value, right? That doesn't match your intrinsic worth or value. This is how they see you. This is how they, they view people. Anybody in their life is just an object and they can pick you up and put you down. And in that moment you weren't useful. 
Yeah. In that moment, you weren't useful to him. So he was with another girl and then he used an opportunity to, you know, make it a little easier when he got home or whatever, like get you back into the honeymoon phase. Like it's really opportunistic, but it also shows you a lot of women struggle with when they move on, right? Or they like move on from their attachment to you to their attachment with somebody else. It's not an attachment at all, but it just shows you that he's not there with her either. No. He, you know, so it's like when, when we move past these relationships or when they move past their victims, they're not any happier ever. They're, they're never satisfied or fulfilled. Even no matter what you see on social media, here he is with a beautiful woman like yourself with you for years, does that behind your back, still thinking about you, not present with her. Like it's, it's absolute insanity. Yeah, it is. And mind you, I didn't really find out the truth about a lot of these situations till after too. So by the time I would find out about these things, it was so shocking mm -hmm. and embarrassingly enough, Actually, you know what? I don't even want to say embarrassingly anymore because I chose to stay and work things through and try and figure out what was actually going on in the relationship. And I don't take any of that back because I feel like there was something that I had to learn or unlearn, I guess mm -hmm. you could also say. But I got convinced to stay multiple times after a lot of really bad things happened. And I questioned myself every single time, like, why didn't I walk away? Like, why, why didn't I leave? Why am I not done here? And there was part of me every single time that knew it was going to happen again. Yeah. And it's so hard because like I sit here now, I would never, I would never stay with someone like that ever. The first sign of any of this, you would be gone and not in like a bitchy way, but I just have no room for it. If that's the kind of energy you have, there's no space for you in my life. So what is different that I learned during that relationship now that I can reflect back on and be like, I know my value. I know my boundaries. I also know the signs of a really toxic person versus what I didn't know then that gave me this thought that maybe they will change. And then it happens again. Maybe, you know, it wasn't as bad as the first time. I always tell people like when you're in abusive relationships, hope is deadly. Oh my God, it'll kill you. It will. Because it will freaking kill you. It's deadly. And so you have to be really careful for hope. Now, I don't think you need to lose hope in your future. You don't need to lose hope in yourself. But if you're hoping for things to change in an abusive relationship, you can do that outside of being in the relationship. Yeah. I think separating first and then, you know, if you want to work on it, maybe, you know, but the conditions have to be right. And we don't talk about that. Hardly ever. Yeah. What are like some of the, if you could say, like everybody loves to talk about red flags, right? Yeah. What do you think some of the biggest red flags were for you? Um, they don't have a lot of good friends. They don't have a lot of friends that have stuck around for a long time. Um, because they treat their friends the same way they treat these relationships. Yeah. You're, you're discarded very quickly. If you don't fit their agenda anymore, or if you are combative in any way, or if you don't align with them and their rhetoric of what they're, how they're living their life, you are disposable. So the fact that he couldn't keep any good friends around was a really bad sign. Did you ever feel like, <clears throat> I think a good way to tell if you're in a narcissistically abusive relationship is that it's very draining energetically. Oh my gosh. Did that's you huge. ever did you ever feel like that way in your relationship where you just kind of felt like sucked dry? I was exhausted all of the time. I even look back at photos of myself from that time in my life. I don't even recognize myself 
Isn't it crazy? I do not know who that Isn't person it cra- is. Oh my God, I've done the same yeah. thing. And, and I was like, holy <laughs> shit, I don't even know who that yeah. person is. And not even because it might look a little different, but you can see, I was literally, if you look in my eyes, I am see dead. The, you can see the <laughs> sorrow, can't yeah. you? Yeah, I, I was same. so sad. I was so sad. And I remember when I finally left him, one of my good girlfriends, she cried. And I was like, and I hugged her. I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, please don't go back. And I'm like, oh my God, like you, you sound like you're, like I'm going back to like a murderer. And she's like, I cannot stand to see you like this anymore. I do not want to see you go through this again because she was there through the entire thing. And she's like, I've tried to support you. I've tried to be there for you. I don't want to leave you alone. I just don't, I can't see you do this to yourself again. And that one really, that one really hurt because I felt the pain in her Mm. witnessing the pain in me. And that was really, that was really fucked up. And my family too, like, they were, were they so relieved? worried. Oh my God. They were so relieved when it finally ended. Isn't it crazy how everybody else can <laughs> yeah. see it and you're just kind of like, oh shit. Yeah. And know? then I felt really bad and also embarrassed too. Cause I'm like, I feel dumb and I'm not a dumb person. Well, so. I, I look, I always say this. It's not about intelligence, right? There's, no, it's not. Look, there's a, like, we're both smart women, right? We can like, we're intelligent, but yet we've both been victims of it, right? I I don't know any stupid woman or man for that matter that's ever been on the receiving end of a narcissistically abusive relationship. They tend to seek out people that are, that have really beautiful qualities and really beautiful traits. You know, it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with your intelligence. There's, there's so much bonding and attachment and grooming that happens in these relationships. And then there's, manipulation, a lot of manipulation plays into your ability to be able to read the situation and make good decisions for yourself. Yeah. And then you throw in isolation on top of that. You don't really have anything to balance it out with, you know? And then, you know, you moved, there's a level, a slight level of dependency. I know you still had your own thing going on, but, but still this, you know, he's, it slowly starts to remove your sense of self and, and your identity. And then, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to kind of ask you how, I wanted to ask you two things, how it ended and then how it affected your self-image. Oh man. So it ended because infidelity happened again. Okay. But this time I, oh man, it's so crazy because when the infidelity I caught happened the first time, the actual infidelity, that one was the one that wrecked me the most. Mm. That one was the one that put me into therapy because my PTSD was so bad that I was having panic attacks. Wow. I was blacking out when I was driving. I was having like really like physiological, I was having physiological responses to these panic attacks and it wasn't just in my head. Like I couldn't function very well. It was affecting my day-to-day life. It was affecting my work, my friendships. My, I mean, I couldn't wake up without crying sometimes. It was just really, really heavy after that first time. And that's the one that fucked with my self-image the most because the person who I had found out that he was cheating on me with was also kind of like copying my identity on mm-hmm. social media. Um, she lived in another state. And so when I found out about it all, it was like, it really fucked with my head, like really, really bad. And so we actually, that was in um, the end of 2019. And then we, I gave him an ultimatum about therapy and he finally decided, okay, I'll go because I was threatening to leave. We started therapy and then COVID happened. And so we even got more isolated, which Mm -hmm. was crazy. But there were, there was like a four or five month stint there where we actually were doing really well, but it was COVID. There was not a whole lot going on. I didn't think about this back then, but even my friends were like, wow, I think you guys like really got through this. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, maybe I don't regret giving this a chance. 
I continued personally going to therapy on my own, which I thank God for that therapist because he was the first one to educate me about what was happening to me. Mm. And the more educated I became, the stronger I started feeling and the more I started getting my sense of self back. So when this last thing happened, I didn't feel like I had lost myself in the end. It was actually this mid incident. But Mm -hmm. in the end, you know, I'll just say like your intuition is really fucking strong and you really have to listen to it. And what sucks about being gaslit for so long is you really start to judge your intuition. Mm -hmm. You start to question yourself. But to make a long story short, I found out about two different women in the same week that he was cheating on me with. And one was a trainer at our gym, at our gym here in Las Vegas. So it was very close to home and it had been going on for a while. I just got goosebumps when you said that. Yeah. It gave me chills. It was like, I I could, it'd be too long of a story to even tell you how all of these blocks lined up for me to find out, but it was unreal. And how long had that been going on? Them, them together from what I heard, like six months. And the other girl, was she aware of you? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, she knew. But from what I also understand, he probably manipulated her just as much as he mm-hmm. manipulated me. He probably told her that we were done or whatever. Mm-hmm. But my ring was on my finger. We trained in the same gym. Like it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that this person's still engaged. Right. So that to me was like, I don't even really need your explanation. You're just as bad. You know, sometimes I'm like, it's not the girl's fault. She didn't know, but this isn't really that case. So mm-hmm. um, that was that one was kind of a smack in the face to me because it was so close. The other girls, some, most times, weren't usually out of state. Um, but yeah, it was it was so much in one week period that I was just like, fuck you. Like, fuck all of this bullshit. I can't believe I gave you another chance. But you know what? Thank you for making this so easy for me because now I literally cannot even like, I can't even have any respect for you as a person. And he still denied the one at the gym. And I left the house. I moved out. I told him I need two weeks before I even speak to you to discuss anything. Give me some space. And he spent the two weeks basically telling me he was going to get better and go to therapy, all the stuff that we, you know, had done in the past. And Mm -hmm. during those two weeks, I'm out of town. I find out not only was he lying and he did he was with this girl. They were still together and still doing stuff wow. while he's still trying to get me back. And I'm like, you know, I'm losing respect for you even as like a person. I can't even breathe the same air as you anymore. I want nothing to do with you. Like I, I wasn't planning on going back to him at this point, yeah. but I was like, maybe I can remain like cordial. But after that, I'm like, you want, you don't want good for me because what you're basically doing now is seeing how much destruction you've caused me and you're watching me go through it again and you're still fucking doing it. Mm-hmm. So you don't value me at all. There's zero care, right? Yeah, that that was like the wake up call for me because it was so blatantly fucked up right in front of my face that I'm like, you might as well just slap me. I I rather <laughs> I wish you would have just punched me. Mm-hmm. Like I I don't, but like in that moment, that's what I felt like. I'm like, if you could have just fucking hit me, that would have been way less than what you've done to me over the last two and a half years. And at least with that, maybe I could have gone to the cops and I could have like just gone away. Not that I wish that on anybody or like one's better than the other, but that's how it felt in that yeah. moment because it was so jarring and so Well, you're real. Up. It's like your your world is how you view them, the the life that you thought that you had, it, it, it all it all goes away. And then yeah. you, I think probably one of the hardest things is realizing that it wasn't real, right? That's it's, the thing. It's this facade. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody shows you, here's the ring and the house and the, the future family and everything that you ever wanted because I took a deep dive into you and understood exactly what Christina wanted as a person. And I showed her that I'm going to give this to her and this is going to be great and I'm going to keep you safe. Mm-hmm. 
And then it literally is the complete opposite. You're fucking with me mentally, emotionally, and you're putting me in danger physically and intimately. You have no respect for my mind, body, or my soul at this point. So what makes this a safe container at all? Isn't it, isn't it so frustrating to want to have these conversations with your abusers, right? Want to be able to express yourself and to be able to relay the pain and the hurt and just the shock of it all and, and to know that all of it falls on deaf ears. And I think that's the really painful part about the process in the end is like the beginning of the healing process and yeah. understanding that you can say all these things and it goes nowhere. It's it's so hard, right? Because yeah. I think a lot of people uh, believe in closure. Um, I used to. I used to too. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and I, I look at closure very differently now than I did back then. Um, I don't think that you need to go to the person that shot you for closure and ask them to take the bullet out. I, I think that you can kind of create that on your own. But it's really important to know who your audience is. Like, I don't go to a liar and ask them for the truth, right? Yeah. You wouldn't go to a narcissist and ask them for care. Yeah, well, and think about it too. If this person has manipulated you and betrayed mm -hmm. you and been so deceitful to you, what's to think that they're just not going to rattle off some more bullshit to you well that's or a fake apology see that's or such fake a, emotions that's that's the way to look at it that's the healthy way to look at it but we often don't look at it that way what we do is we'll see things through the lens of oh people can change oh we'll believe what they say and we don't look at it through the lens of oh this is a pattern actually actually yeah. it's a very predictable pattern right and then you obviously getting more education probably helped and being able to discern a, a little bit like this really isn't change. This is not changed behavior. This is something that is now a cycle. It's cyclical in nature. And 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 having that knowledge can really kind of help you stay out of something that can be incredibly toxic. Because oh, yeah. if you if you had not ended that, that that would have just continued for it it doesn't end. That's that's the thing. See, one one of the things that a lot of people don't know is that they, you know, the narcissistic abuse cycle ends with the discard, okay? But that's not the real end because they always feel like they have ownership over you. My narcissist just looked at my shit yesterday, my former narcissist. Yes, I saw you. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing is they, they really and it's do been keep like, tabs it's, on people. Yeah, because they always feel like they have access and ownership to you. And for mine, it's been like, what, 10 years? Um, and still, still on the radar, right? Not just, just, just watching, just paying attention, you know? Um, did you, did you like, once the relationship kind of ended, did you kind of experience any of that where there was like a not letting go or a way to still try to exert power and control over you or the relationship um, either just, directly or indirectly? It was just those few weeks that, you know, I had said like, give me some space before we talk because I was just trying to be cordial. Um, but then I went no contact because I was told that's the only way. And after tell me all, what no contact really is though. Like, oh man, it means you don't, you block everything. Everything, it's right? It's like, it's zero. What if like, what if I, <laughs> I, I, like it's extreme, isn't it? Yeah, it is, but it has to be. Think about how extreme your abuse was. I agree. I agree. But it's hard. That's but a lot of people don't, so a lot hard. of people will do like a partial block where they'll like, um, Maybe they'll unfriend them on social media, but they won't block them, right? Yeah, or no, maybe it has they'll, to be everything. It does. If they have your email, if they have your phone, if they have access to your friends, it's still a way for them to have contact with you and abuse you either directly or indirectly. And then they can create 
like a Hoover where they attempt to reestablish contact at some point. Yeah, there were a few times, um, you know, he messaged me from other random accounts, you know, telling me that he's changed and he'd like to take me to lunch or to dinner. And I just, of course, in those moments, you're like, maybe I do want to hear what he has to say, but then I, I really don't. And that was the most powerful thing I probably could have ever done was to take that power back and be like, I don't, you don't deserve my time. Mm -hmm. You took three years from me that were so bad. Like, yeah, we had some good times, but they don't outweigh the abuse. And that's what people, they hang on to all that good that was shown to them. And like, well, what about this and this and this? Well, it doesn't fucking matter anymore. And it's so shitty because I wouldn't be able to say this when I was in it. But now looking back, and that's why I try and share as much of my story mm -hmm. as I can without having to like relive it over and over and over again, because there's so many women and men that this happens to that they just get so caught up on like the love bombing phase of all that good. They're like, well, I just want that back so bad. Like, no, you want your hit of dopamine back. Exactly. But you can get that in a new relationship. You don't have to keep running back to the person that hurts you. There are so many people on this planet and that's what I had to like help myself understand. This one person disrupting my life this bad does not need to hold any weight. And like you said, it would have just get it would have just gotten worse. It doesn't get better. It never gets better. What were some things that you did to heal and recover after you got out of this relationship? Because I'm sure your self-esteem was probably just shot and you were feeling yeah. probably pretty down. Yeah. Um, like I had mentioned earlier, the the bulk of it happened about a year before I actually Midway left him. Through. Yeah. And so therapy was the first thing that I did. And I never thought I would go to therapy, but I also had a bad stigma about therapy in my head, but it provided education for me. It provided education on like the scientific aspect of what was happening in my brain, like what was happening in my life, what these things were, what this kind of person was capable of and just how to handle things. Um, so that helped. And I did a lot of research, but then I also went back to getting a mentor that was more on the spiritual side that can kind of help me with dealing with some like shadow work and understanding like maybe my childhood traumas from mm -hmm. like an energetic standpoint and not just let me sit in therapy and hear about PTSD and like, you know, yeah. maybe my abandonment issues, but the spiritual aspect of trauma being stored in the body. Mm -hmm. um, so having my spiritual healer and then also my therapist on one side providing like different perspectives, but over the same subject matters, helped me see things at a lot of different like levels. So mm -hmm. they both had me do shadow work on different ways. But then I started meditating. I went back to things that made me happy, like dancing um, and just did things to remind myself of who I was before this person entered my life. Mm -hmm. um, and then I started my podcast. That must have been really empowering. I love I love the title of your podcast too. Well, I laugh at it because I was fucking terrified. <laughs> like, <laughs> to be terrified as fuck. <laughs> but I like really in reality. But I that word to me meant so much because that's how I wanted to live my life. Not terrified, but fearless. I that's how I used to be, and everyone would tell me that. And it wasn't I always tell people it's like not not that you can't be scared, you're going to be scared throughout life, but if you can attack things with like a fearless mentality that you can't be broken and that you're strong enough and like you have the willpower, you won't be phased by things like this. And so I kind of joked about it, but that was like my ideal way of living was without fear. And that was how I was living. I was so fucking fearful for so long of being myself, of doing too much, of doing too less um, or too little. And mm -hmm. I got so tired of thinking that like who I was in that moment wasn't enough because that wasn't 
my thoughts that was his but i was taking on his thoughts and his emotions and making them my own Mm -hmm. and that's where like your loss of identity i feel like comes because you're taking on someone else's shit Mm -hmm. so when people would ask me like you know like like who are you christina i didn't even know what to say back then i was his fiance i was Mm -hmm. his this you know it was never just christina Mm -hmm. um even my instagram handle back then like had his name in it because he wanted it that way Mm. oh my god it's just so oh my god you can just see all the little things together he did it and like there's just so that's that ownership right yeah but it was so crazy because like tied with that were also things that made me feel like i was the most important thing ever but the second that i felt really important he'd slam me back down with something really hard so it was like I want you to do well, but not better than me mm-hmm. kind of thing. And anytime my confidence would get a little bit too high, man, that was when shit really went south. That's very and, threatening to them. Yeah. And you know, he'd always tell me like, don't let these girls get the best of you, Christina. And I'd be like, yeah, you're right. I shouldn't let them get the best of me. But I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> you're is somebody, setting... somebody attacked? Like what's going on? Yeah. So, you know, you do live in a state of hypervigilance yeah. and, you know, when I left and started doing all this recovery, I would sleep for days. Mm. I would sleep for days. I thought something was wrong with me. But, you know, when your body is literally living in, you know, fight or flight mode for so long and in survival mode, you know, you're recovering. You have to let yourself recover. You have to invest in like really good things for your mindfulness practices, for your physical practices and really take care of yourself. And honestly, when I started doing that, I started thriving Mm -hmm. and practicing speaking because I felt like my whole, my throat chakra was just like, shredded like I, I didn't even know how to talk anymore so the podcast originally was just to get myself to have a voice again and mm-hmm. then you know I met John and he's like you need you need to push this like you need to get people to share their, to share their stories and so I really focused on like trauma recovery from not just like narcissistic relationships but you know traumatic events car accidents people who grew up in really bad situations and have found their voice in a way and I wanted to give them a platform and that cyclical energy of talking to other people also I help I feel like healed me too Mm -hmm. so I I think that's such an important point and something that I often talk about as well you know when when people want to know how to heal I think one of the biggest ways that you can heal is to give out of your own need yeah and I don't know what it does but something happens something happens to you when you're able to pour into somebody when when you're lacking love but you can give love that's healing and you know what I found too is like being a people pleaser can be a really bad thing, but in reality, like the root of it was I wanted to help somebody so bad. So now taking that and putting it into this and helping people in the right way and helping the right people fulfills that need inside me to like nurture, but nurture in the right way. And I forget what the quote was, but somebody was telling me like, you know, the more you share your pain and the more you um, talk about it and share your truth and share your story, you're helping the next person. Like, kind of like what you were saying and it mm-hmm. really does do something for you because you're giving from a place that you even weren't sure that you had enough to give to yourself but it gives back to you at the same time if mm-hmm. that makes sense it does and I, I think that's such a beautiful way to put it well I I want to thank you for coming on and I want to thank you for being so open and and talking about your story like I I think I think it's really hard to do that. And I think it's very brave to, especially when you've been silenced for so long and you can kind of question like, hey, is this real abuse? Hey, is this really oh, worth so many times sharing, you know, so taking that step, being being part of this and, and helping educate, you know, other people that may be experiencing this. I think you gave some really great examples because this stuff's kind of, it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain what gaslighting looks like. It's hard it to is. explain what devaluation looks like. So 
you gave some really good examples. So I'll leave you with any any final thoughts, anything that you want to leave our listeners and viewers with. Um, I just probably would say, you know, it's 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 hard because like you were saying, it's hard to talk about. And when you bring it back, it almost you start really thinking about the things that you went through and you question it. And if I could go back, whenever I started to question myself, I think I would have taken a lot of a, a bigger look in the mirror at like what was actually going on and started questioning the person that I was with and the relationship I was with rather than questioning myself so much. Mm. If you find yourself asking like, am I crazy? Yeah. Like, am I actually crazy? Is this, is this stuff really happening? And you're questioning like your reality. That's when you should start looking for the support mm-hmm. like early on and you know, it can happen to anybody. So I would just be very aware of your relationships and, you know, be more mindful about the people that you let into your life and how quickly you let them in. Um, nothing bad ever came from like taking things slow and really getting to know somebody and understanding them and, you know, just look out for the signs. It's, uh, I back, know. I back that 100%. Well, everybody, I want to thank you for tuning in. Um, and, and thank you again to the beautiful Christina Lauren. Um, guys, thank you for watching and we'll see you next time.